0: Chapter nine of the Pennycum Quicks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pennycum Quicks by Sabine barring Gould. Chapter nine. Arrival. What? No cabs? No cabs? asked Philip Pennycum Quick on reaching the Murgatroyd Station what a place this must be to call itself a town and have no convenience for those who arrive at it to transport them to their destinations can one hire a wheelbarrow philip was as may be seen testy the train had not deposited him at the station till past seven instead of four eighteen when due he had been thrown into involuntary association with a young lady whom he had set down to belong to a category of females that are to be kept at a distance that is those who as he contemptuously described them run after a hearth-brush because it wears whiskers he misjudged janet baines as men of a suspicious temper are liable to misjudge simple and frank natures there are men who the more forward a woman is so much the more do they recoil into their shells to glower out of them at those who approach them like a mastiff from its kennel with a growl and a display of teeth who this woman was with whom he had been thrown philip only knew from what she had told him and the guard he was aware that she was the sister of his correspondent salome but he was ignorant as before who salome was less only the fact that she must be young because the twin sister of his fellow passenger if like her and twins are usually alike she must be pretty and as mental characteristics follow the features like her coquettish and ready to make love as philip put it to the hearthbrush because of its whiskers at the station he had reckoned on finding a cab and driving to his destination whilst his companion went off in another but to his vexation he found that there were no cabs he must engage a porter to carry his traps on a truck he resolved to go first of all to his uncle's house and inquire whether he was lost in the flood and if he had been heard of since the telegram was dispatched then he would put up for the night at the inn and his future movements would be regulated by the information he received by the way said he to the porter I suppose you have a decent hotel in the place, though it is deficient in cabs. There are three inns, answered the man, but all full as an excursion train on good Friday. The poor folks that have been turned o' oh, to house by to water, have been taken into em Where art a goin', sir? To the house of mister Pennycombe quick, answered Philip. Right you are, said the porter. "'Mrs. Baines is also bound to same, and I can take the whole bag o' tricks on one barrow.' Philip turned to Janet Baines with an impatient gesture, which with all his self-control he was unable to repress, and said, "'You are going to Mr. Pennycumquicks, I understand, madame.' There was no avoiding it. The tiresome association could not be dissolved at once. It threatened to continue. "'Yes,' answered Janet. I spent all my life there till I married, and my mother and sister are there now. Not relations of Mr Pennycom Quick? Oh dear no. He's been like a father to us, because our own father was killed by an accident in his service. That was a long time ago. I cannot remember the circumstance. Ever since then we have lived in the house. We always called Mr quick our uncle. But he is no real relative. Philip strode forward, ahead of the porter. From the station, the road ascended at a steep gradient, and the man came on slowly with the united luggage. Janet quickened her pace and came up beside Philip. It was like being beset by a fly in summer. "'Are you going to Mr. Quicks? asked Janet, panting. She was a little out of breath with walking to keep up with her companion. Yes. I am not strong. My breath goes if I hurry, especially in going uphill. Then, madam, let me entreat you to spare your lungs and relax your pace. But then we shall be separated, and we are going to the same house. Would you mind going just a wee bit slower? philip complied without a word he questioned for a moment whether he should inform his fellow-passenger of the news that the uncle was lost but he reflected that he knew nothing for certain the message he had received could hardly have been couched in vaguer terms it was quite possible that his explanation of it was false it was also not at all improbable that the alarm given was premature if salome were like the young scatterbrain walking at his side she would be precisely the person to cry wolf at the first alarm he might have inquired of the porter whether mr penny had met with an accident or whether anything had occurred at his house but he preferred to wait partly because he was too proud to inquire of a porter and partly because he was given no opportunity to questioning him out of hearing of his companion are you going to stay at uncle's asked janet i really am unable to answer that question but as you have heard all the inns are full have you any friends in murgatroyd relations not friends what a delightful thing it must be to have plenty of relations salome and i have none we were quite alone in the world except for mother now i have of course all my husband's kindred but salome has no one there was no shaking this girl off she stuck to him as a burr in all probability he would be housed at his uncle's that night and so he would be brought into further contact with this person she herself was eminently distasteful to him but a sister unmarried philip resolved to redouble his testy manner towards her he would return to nottingham on the morrow unless absolutely compelled by circumstances to remain there was there always had been a vein of suspicion breeding reserve of manner in the penny family it was found chiefly in the men in the women that is in mrs sidebottom it took a different form as forces are co-related so are tempers it chilled their manner it made them inapt to form friendships and uncongenial in society uncle jeremiah had it and that strongly towards his own kin he had never relaxed the conduct of neither sister nor brother had been such as to inspire confidence to the last he was hard icy and suspicious towards them but the warm breath of the little children had melted the frost in his domestic relations and their conspicuous guilelessness had disarmed his suspicions to them he had been a very different man to what he had appeared to others philip's father had behaved foolishly withdrawn his money from the firm and in a fit of credulity had allowed himself to be swindled out of it by a smooth-tongued impostor schofield that loss had reduced him to poverty and had soured him thenceforth the penny quick characteristics which had been in abeyance in nicholas ripened rapidly philip had learned from his father to regard the bulk of mankind as in league against the few as characterized by self-seeking and as unreliable in all that affected their own interests philip was aged thirty-four but looked older than his years the experiences he had passed through had prematurely fixed the direction of his tendencies, and had warped his views of life. In photography, impressions made on the sensitive plate rapidly fade unless dipped in a solution which gives them permanency. So it is with the incidents of life. Pictures are formed in our brains, and pass unnoticed, unregistered, till something occurs to fix them the great misfortune which had befallen his father had acted as such a bath to philip's mind leaving on it the indelible impression of universal rascality he could remember the comfort in which his childhood had been passed and the grinding penury afterwards obliged to work for his livelihood he had chosen the law a profession ill-calculated to counteract a tendency in him inherent and already declared to regard all men as knaves or fools nicholas's last years had been spent in useless repinings over his loss in grumbling at his brother and sister for not coming to his aid and in hatred of the man who had ruined him he had been too proud to appeal to his half-brother and was angry with jeremiah for not coming forward unsolicited to relieve him had he gone to his brother even written to him to express regret for his injudicious conduct, it is probable, nay, certain, that Jeremiah would have forgiven him. But the false pride of Nicholas prevented him taking this step, and Jeremiah would not move to his assistance without it. Thus a mutual misunderstanding kept the half brothers apart, and embittered their minds against each other. Mrs. Sidebottom had been as of little help to her brother as had Jeremiah. Mr. Sidebottom had indeed taken Philip into his office as a clerk, but no Sidebottom contributions came to relieve the necessities of Nicholas. His sister was profuse in regrets and apologies for not doing anything for him, always waiting these apologies with a lecture on his wrongdoing in withdrawing his money from the firm, but she gave him nothing save empty words. Nicholas entertained but little love for his sister and Philip grew up with small respect for his aunt. By the time that Philip had reached the penny-come-quick door, he was in as unamiable a temper as he had ever been during the thirty-four years of his life. He was damp, hungry, cold. He more than half believed that he had been brought to Murgatroyd on a fool's errand. He did not know where he was to sleep that night and what he would get to eat. The inns, as he had heard, were full. No more trains would leave the station that night, owing to the condition of the line. There was not a cab in Murgatroyd, so that he could escape from the place only on foot, and that without his baggage. Moreover, he was in doubt with what face he could appear before his uncle, were Jeremiah at home. His uncle, whom he had only once seen, and that at his father's funeral, had on that occasion shown him not the smallest inclination to make his acquaintance. Would it not appear as if, on the first rumor or suspicion of disaster, he had rushed to this spot without decorum, to seize on his uncle's estate, and with no better excuse than a vague telegram received from an irresponsible girl? Ear's the door, said the porter. Janet ran up the steps with alacrity and knocked. Mr quick's house was formal as himself, of red brick, without ornament halfway up the hill with its back to the road and without even that mellow charm which old red brick assumes in the country for this was red, begrimed with soot on which not a lichen or a patch of moss would grow the ugly back was towards the street the uglier face looked into a garden that ran down the slope to the valley bottom there were two square-headed windows on one side of the door two similar windows on the other side over each an exactly similar window and over the door one with a round head that doubtless lighted the staircase above these was another story similar but the windows less tall who does not know this kind of house they are scattered in hundreds of thousands over the face of england and who with a grain of taste would not a thousand times rather snuggle into a thatched cottage with windows broad and low Winking out from under the brown eaves. Not if one lived to the age of the wandering Jew could one become attached to one of these gaunt, formal, dingy mansions. The door was opened in answer to the bell and knocker, and Philip, after paying the railway porter, requested him to wait five minutes till he ascertained whether he was to spend the night there or go in quest of a bed. Then he entered the gas-lighted hall. To see his travelling comrade locked in the arms of her sister, a young girl of the same age and height and general appearance, with the same red-gold hair and the same clear complexion, who was flushed with excitement at meeting Janet. A pretty sight it was, those lovely twins clinging to each other in an ecstasy of delight, laughing, kissing, fondling each other, with the tears of exuberant pleasure streaming over their cheeks but philip remained unmoved or contemptuous he saw his aunt louisa and captain lambert on the stairs i know well what this bit of pantomime means thought philip the girls are showing off before two young men what philip here exclaimed mrs sidebottom who hastened down the stairs to greet her nephew oh philip how good of you to come i made sure you would the moment you heard the news and yet i was not sure but that you would shrink from it as you were on such bad terms with your uncle i am so glad you have arrived to assist us with your professional advice this is a sad a very sad case mr philip penny come quick exclaimed salome disengaging herself from her sister's embrace and standing before the young man she lifted her great searching eyes to his face and studied it, then dropped them, ashamed at her audacity, and perhaps a little disappointed at what she had seen, for the moment he came towards her he assumed his most uncompromising expression. "'I beg your pardon,' said he stiffly, "'whom have I the honour—' "'I am Salome Cusworth, who telegraphed to you.' He bowed haughtily. "'I am glad.' then salome abashed caught her sister's hand and said to mrs sidebottom oh please let me take janet away first she knows nothing and you must allow me to break the terrible news to her myself she drew her sister aside with her arm round her waist into a room on the ground floor where she could tell her privately the great sorrow that had fallen on them philip looked inquiringly after them and when the door had closed said to his aunt who are they what are they you may well ask said mrs sidebottom They are the petted and spoiled daughters of your uncle's housekeeper he has brought them up beyond their station and now they will be unfit to do anything when turned adrift but said philip one is married oh yes of course she has caught her man i know nothing of her husband or how he was tackled i dare say however he is respectable but only a manufacturer and the unmarried sister is salome yes an officious pert piece of goods like her sister now said mrs sidebottom what are you going to do in this house you cannot well be accommodated there are rooms but every one's head is turned servants and all no toast sent up at breakfast your best way will be to go to Lambert's quarters in my house. Here you would be amidst a party of tedious women." "'I want to be as far as possible from those young ladies,' said Philip. One has been in the train with me for many hours, and has worried me beyond endurance." "'Certainly. Go with Lambert. In my house you will be in Liberty Hall, where you can smoke—' "'I never smoke. And drink whisky and water i take nothing at night and talk over social scandals in which i have not the smallest interest well well we dine in a quarter of an hour here you will stay no dressing quite in family. fried soles a joint and cutlets a la tomato thank you i accept for the inns i learn are quite full I will give orders to the porter to take my traps over to your house, and then perhaps you will give me ten minutes to tell me what has happened to my uncle, for I am still in the dark respecting him. So are we all, said Lambert. From the room into which Salome had drawn her sister, and which was the sitting room of their invalided mother, could be heard the sobbing of Janet, and the broken accents of the old lady and Salome. There were tears in all their voices then there flashed through the mind of philip pennycom quick the thought that here without in the hall were the sister and two nephews of the lost man who had been as yet scarcely alluded to by them but he had been told about what there was for dinner whereas divided from them by a door were three persons unconnected with uncle jeremiah who were moved by his death or disappearance as by that of a dear connection philip however said nothing he turned to the front door to speak to the porter when a violent ring at the bell called his attention to another man who stood on the steps beg pardon said this man where is miss solomay i will call her said philip who shall i say wants to speak to her the night watchman fanshaw oh mr fanshaw exclaimed mrs sidebottom running through the hall to him has he been found no such luck was the answer philip tapped at the door through which the girls had retreated and salome opened it her eyes were glittering with tears and her cheeks were moist there is a fellow called fanshaw wants a word with you said philip the girl advanced through the hall to the door oh miss said the night watchman some o us chaps aren't content to let matters stand as they be for sure to old gentleman be somewhere and we're bound to meck another sarch we thought thad would like to know but where int canal how by night for sure wi a loaf o cake and a cannel End of chapter 9